0: Well, good evening, church. Welcome. It's Wednesday night. Time for another brief study in the book of Mark. Close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark. My goodness, this is part 28. We're coming to a really interesting and challenging part of the book. We're, we're at Mark 13, which is uh, called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Uh Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, all the same general account of what's called the Olivet Discourse where Jesus speaks uh, as much as he speaks in any one teaching time on uh, eschatology, the end of the world, future events. And so we're really coming into some interesting verses. Uh, Mark 13, we're gonna try to look at 27 verses, um, painting them in very broad strokes. We can't go into all the details, but some of the important themes. So Mark 13, 1 to 27. I won't take time now to read the whole 27 verses. We'll break it down into pieces and study it this way. So point number one, I want you to notice, I think this is really important to notice the different questions the disciples asked, because we need to see specifically what it is that Jesus is speaking to. So Mark 13, starting at verse 1, and we'll read four verses. And as he came out of the temple, that's Jesus, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, at what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings, looking at the temple. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Wow. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, remember all of it discourse, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew, they asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, notice, I, I think this is the first step in looking at this passage properly. These, there are several questions asked here, not just one. And this is made even more clear when you read Matthew's account in Matthew 24, verse 3. So they come out and Jesus makes the same comment about not one stone being left on another in the temple. And then twenty-four three of Matthew. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, listen, tell us when will these things be, all these stones toppled and destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? So, so, Jesus, when will this temple be destroyed in the way you described so graphically? What will the end of the age be like? And when are you coming again? Now, those are not, uh, unlike some, I, I can't interpret these verses in a way that those are just different ways of asking the same question. A lot of scholars do. It doesn't work for me. I think... I think they're talking about several different things. And and here's what I want to say as we start studying uh, these verses. What makes them difficult is it's, it's not always precisely clear from Jesus which question he's dealing with. And I want to say this. I think that's intentional. I think it's intentional that you're never sure, is Jesus talking about something in... Their time and the destruction of that temple, um, or is Jesus talking about cataclysmic events at the end of the age that relate to us directly? And it's not always easy to tell. I think you can make some broad distinctions. That's what we're going to do. But I think I think we're we're meant to not know the day and the hour. We're we're meant. It's intentional that you can't just put everything in precise time slots the way you see some guys do on TV where they got their big charts and they've got dates and all the nations got it all figured out. I think Jesus is avoiding leading us to that kind of thinking. So that's the first point. There are three questions asked. Generally, three questions asked. The destruction of the temple, signs of the end of the age, specifically signs of Jesus coming again. So they ask him those questions and that's what, That's what uh, the text is going to be dealing with. Okay, point number two. So first, the the destruction of the temple and and Jerusalem. Look at the first 13 verses again, then we'll talk about it. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? They will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of birth pangs. So that's these general terms, Jesus says, the the flow of the age. But he says these aren't things you can pin very much on. There's an increase in intensity, but this is just general, uh, the general flow of the age. Now, they're asking about this destruction of the temple and immediate events. 9, verse 9. Be on your guard. They will deliver you over to the councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. So it's synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Paul did that, remember? And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I believe most of those words, with the exception that I mentioned of the general flow of the age, I think most of those words were fulfilled pretty literally around 40 years after Jesus spoke them. Around 60 AD, Roman general Titus ransacked the city, totally destroyed the temple area, literally probably not two stones left on top of the other. Now, Notice especially the warnings attached to this event of this destruction of the temple. It's in verses five through eight. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. They will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. They asked about the end of the age. He said, well, that's that's not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes in various places, famines. These are but the beginning of birth pangs. So Jesus doesn't want his disciples to think that um, every time difficult situations arise, that it's the end of the world. That seems to be very important in Jesus' mind. All these things that sound so terrible, and then he clearly says, but that's, that's not the end. I'm not talking about the end here. Why does he warn them about this? He warns them about it for the same reason we need to consider it now, because false teachers always prey on hard times. False teachings thrive in the middle of difficult circumstances. People, Jesus warns his disciples... That as this coming persecution comes, people will be particularly vulnerable to false messages when things seem to be crumbling the temple quite literally in Jerusalem around them. This has always worked this way. It happened uh, happened when Jerusalem was taken captive back in the days of Jeremiah. I was looking at Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. You encourage them to have when you're when you're there listening at you know at their feet, it just encourages them to come up with stuff. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So now go back to to Mark 13 and look at verses 9 through 13. Be on your guard. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. They're going to see this. They will deliver you over to the councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my name to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be preached first, proclaimed to all nations, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand what you are to say. Say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The thing I notice here specifically, Jesus speaking to his disciples, they are to remain at their tasks until the very end. See that verse 10? This gospel must be preached. Stay at it. You have to keep delivering the message. The gospel still must be preached. God would provide. Jesus speaks to his disciples. There'll be special help for the persecution they're going to receive. There'll be special help from the Holy Spirit. They'll be given boldness. You can see it, you can see it after the Holy Spirit come up upon the disciples all through the book of Acts the, they were brought before leaders, governors, kings and they kept proclaiming the gospel. It's an exact fulfillment of what Jesus says here. Now there's a shift in the text. Point number 3, I want to talk about what we call the great tribulation. Look at verses 14 to 23. My opinion is, you shouldn't be too dogmatic is that this is where you start to see um, a general shift in which question Jesus is dealing with. I said it's not airtight. I think Jesus answers the questions in such a way that you can't pinpoint the exact day and hour. I think that's intentional. So you can't. It's, it's not good just to pick out one verse and say, "What about that?" But in broad strokes, he deals with that first issue first: the disciples, the destruction of Jerusalem, handling persecution keeping with the message, proclaiming the gospel. Now there's a shift. He's going to start dealing with another issue that is farther down the road from that destruction of Jerusalem in 60 AD. Mark 13, starting at verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains so this includes that area as well. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days... Now, there again, th- those words would could apply quite easily to the disciples and and the Jewish people at that time of the destruction of the temple, they could fit there quite easily and did. But I think, I think as you look at what Jesus says next, he's, he's moving from that particular time slot to this end of the age question. And here's where you start to see it. It's a gradual shift in tone. 19, for in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. Oh. So so there's going to be there's going to be a time of suffering. There has been suffering that's been as great as the destruction of Jerusalem under Titus. Good, good night. We've had we've had atomic bombs. There have been all sorts of times of intense suffering, much greater than that. No, there's going to be this time of tribulation, uh, 19, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. No human being. Not just people around Israel or Jerusalem. Sorry. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs, false prophets will arise, perform signs and wonders, to lead astray, if possibly, the elect. Be on your guard. I've told you these things beforehand. So so there's this sign, and it's been debated for years. The kickoff point that seems to turn the direction a little bit, this abomination of desolation, the abomination that causes desolation, 14, spoken of by the prophet Daniel. We're going to look at that just real quick. That's in Daniel 9, 24 to 27. My own belief, I think this has been fulfilled in history already. It's one of those double fulfillment passages. So I think that this has been something that has happened specific uh events in history but there's but there's another use of these words of Jesus as he quotes Daniel that is still in the future. And I want to tell you why I why I say that. If you look at Daniel 9 especially verse verse uh 24 where where Daniel starts with this prophetic vision in just broad strokes 77s Weeks of years are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. We simply don't see. Here's why I think there's a fulfillment of this that is yet to come that Jesus is thinking about. We simply don't have everlasting righteousness in this world. And that's where it's talking about because it's talking about forgiving sin. There's no sin in heaven to forgive. We simply don't have everlasting peace, everlasting righteousness. Those things are still in the future. So I think Jesus is talking about a big event that's coming in the future. 13.19 also makes it clear that there's this time of trouble coming, the likes of which we've never seen. I mean, we've seen times of trouble on this earth that are as great as the destruction of the temple under Titus, but there's going to be a time of suffering that's different from all of that. And again, notice in 21 to 23, you have the same warning as with the destruction of Jerusalem. You have the same warning here about false teaching. It's in 21, 22, 23. People will be looking for anyone who seems to have answers, anyone who can seem to solve these big problems. And Christians, apparently, in the last days, this is going to grow. They're going to be marked by gullibility unless they're very, very careful. They will be deceived by, particularly whenever there's manifestations of supernatural power. That will tend to override doctrinal truth. This fits perfectly with what Paul said about the last days. Maybe look this up. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 to 12. Paul now writes to the church, and he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know What is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? People debate about the restrainer a lot. Verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So now... The coming of Jesus. Not the destruction of Jerusalem. The coming of Jesus. Nine. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Now look at these words. They're striking in verse 11. Therefore... God, not Satan, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. I wish that sentence wasn't there. You have to do something with it. God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So God, these people... Who don't treasure doctrinal truth. They see signs and wonders, supernatural manifestations. Churches flock for stuff like that. And so even though what's being said isn't true, well boy, look at what's happening. And and Paul says that when people do that, when they reject doctrinal truth, they refuse to give their hearts and minds to studying truth. God, God sends a delusion. And you know what I think of? I think so clearly of those words of of Jesus, where he says, uh, "Even what he has, that parable, even what he has, will be taken away from him if you choose not to treasure truth. If you choose not to delight in truth, God will accelerate that process of of uh, self deception. It's quite a strong term. All right, we got we got one more point four. So the destruction of Jerusalem, signs of the end of the age, the coming of Jesus. They asked him those three things. I want to look at that. The coming of Jesus, uh, Mark 13, 24 to 27. And again, remember, I'm, for study, you can, you can break it up into chunks. The chunks interrelate with each other and interplay with each other so that you just can't, you can't make clear divisions. And I, don't think, I think Jesus does that intentionally. That's what I was saying at the beginning. But the second coming. Mark 13, 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Okay, so we're clearly not just talking about the destruction of the temple now. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from the heavens. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. This is not just Jesus sort of returning to the temple coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This is cosmic. They follow immediately. Notice upon that description of the great tribulation that has never been, never will be again. It follows immediately on those words Jesus will come after this great tribulation. He will gather his elect. His coming, he says, will be visible. You won't have to have someone tell you about this. You're not going to miss this. Everybody will see it. Even those who pierced him. People will, uh, Revelation, people will, will pray for the mountains to fall on them when they see Jesus coming. But everybody will see. The righteous and the unrighteous will know. There'll be nothing secret about the coming of Jesus. Forget those silly films that you've seen there will be huge signs in heaven itself 26 they will see the son of man coming in clouds my final my final text that is described in more detail paul picks it up in 1st Thessalonians 4 13 to 18 Paul writes to the church and says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, those who are dead already. Jesus hasn't come. They're already in the graves. So Paul's, the, the church is worried. I guess they're going to miss it. Don't be grieved as others who have no hope. 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 15, for this we declare to you by word from the Lord. We who are alive, so so if Jesus came back today, you and I, we, we wouldn't experience death. We're still alive. We haven't, we haven't died yet if Jesus comes. So we who are alive, 15, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who are already dead and buried. Why? How are they going to be included? 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven, With a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, notice, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is, that's the first resurrection that's talked about in uh, Revelation 20. Right before the millennium, the dead in Christ will rise first. So Paul uses that word first. John in Revelation 20 says, that's the first resurrection. It takes place right before the millennium. Seventeen. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, notice, don't. It, it's not a matter of being afraid. Encourage one another. Encourage one another with these words that there is, there is nothing in whether it was the destruction of the temple for those first followers of Christ, the signs, the gathering storm clouds, the end of the age as it rolls and grows in intensity, and the specific coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus where Christians are caught up and the dead in Christ are raised up, that there is nothing that is out of God's hands, nothing that's out of his control. And we're to encourage one another with the time when God will make everything new. And that hope can never be taken away from the child of God. Sunday morning, can't meet here in the sanctuary, but 10 o'clock, we're continuing with uh, our study in 1 John. What about sins that I commit in ignorance without knowing? How, How do... Those sins get forgiven. How complete is the cleansing of the blood of Jesus in my life, and how does that work? We'll be studying that in the morning. Sunday night, uh, we're continuing with soul food. Can you trust your New Testament? Can we be sure of the documents of the New Testament, how reliable the truth of the New Testament is? And we can, but how you can know that for sure, we're going to study that Sunday night at 6.30. Let's pray together. We're grateful to have your word when we deal with such huge subjects as these. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you're the Lord of all of history and that this world is in your sovereign control. We long for your coming and pray that you'll keep our hearts tuned to the hope of glory the power of life eternal in our hearts and that nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let let your word, even while we can't be together, Jesus, let your word keep our hearts strong. Let your Holy Spirit continue to use your word to feed Cedarview Community Church. We love you, we bless your name and we keep looking for your appearing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Love one another. Stay in the word. See you Sunday morning.